0: So we're continuing our Made for Mission series with a message titled, Why Am I on Mission? And if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in John 13. Uh, Coming up in a little bit, the other scriptures that we'll be going through today are in the back of the bulletin, if you want to follow along. It's been a few weeks since I've been up here. We had to close one Sunday, then we had to, uh, then last Sunday, of course, we had our uh, District Superintendent here to speak to us about becoming a Class A church, and that was a great time. So we are in week five of our Made for Mission series, and just to catch us up to what we were talking about in the past here, we started off by saying that we are all called. Calling is not just for the spiritual, spiritually elite, but it is for everyone who calls Jesus Lord. Week two, we answered the question, "What is my mission?" We said that our mission. Our mission is Jesus' mission, so you better find out what Jesus is about. Week three, we ask, what's my message? We, are, we know that we are made for a mission, so we have to know what to say while we are on this mission. We learn that our message is simple. We are, are just supposed to share how God's grace, His love, and His forgiveness has intersected us in every part of our life. And finally, about three weeks ago, we talked about who's my mission. We said that it's simply those around us that God has strategically placed around us where we work, where we play, where we live. Everything in our lives and everyone in our lives is our mission. So here we are today answering the question why we are on mission. And when I first came to this church, people challenged me, They said, well, you're going to go to a small church in a small town in a small county and everything there is going to be small and everything there is is going to be rural and everything there is just kind of going to be, you know, not as much as you're used to living in a city and all that. And one person sat me down and said, you know what? You need to get that small country church mindset out of your mind. He said, you need to start thinking of this being an opportunity to be a county-wide church, not just a church that exists in the city of Whitehall, not just a church that exists, you know, quote-unquote, like my daughters say, you live in the middle of nowhere, but a church that has the potential of having a county-wide impact. And when you start to think that way, of us having that kind of a countywide impact, you can see kind of overwhelming. If we just think about this building as where we hold services, when we realize that everyone here is the church, then all of a sudden we realize that we have impact or opportunities to make an impact all over the place. If we were to map out where everyone who either attends or is a member here, lives in this county, you'll see that we cover a pretty good section of this county right now. Last week, or a week before last, was a great example of that. The day that I was going to originally bring this message, we got a major snowstorm. It shut down a lot of the roads into town, and especially like right here in front of the church, it was all snow and and we couldn't get in and out of here. But what if we have people who think, well, I'm on a mission. I don't want to see Jesus' work stop on that Sunday because of some precipitation. Let me make a few phone calls. I know maybe Keith lives near me, or, or Chris lives near me, or somebody else out there lives near me. Maybe we can get together and just have a Bible study and hold church at one of our houses. Maybe we could we could do things like that. And what if we have people all over the county thinking the same way? We might have one church, but will be in multiple locations then. Our former superintendent, Larry Leeby said something about that at our district uh, meeting several years ago. He said, I don't see this district as having over 200 churches in different locations. He said, I see one church in over 200 locations. We're all just located in a different spot, doing the same mission to different people, but it is all one church. And I know from the start that sermons like this can bring up two reactions. For some people, you're going to get kind of pumped up and wondering, how, how is God going to do this? Or how can we serve God in bigger and better ways? And for others, you find yourself asking questions like, my goodness, Pastor John, can't I just be a normal person? can I just go to work? Can't I just pay my taxes? Can't I just go to school or, or just live my life like everyone else? Can't I even just go to the grocery store without having to worry about being on mission? Or how, to, how God might use me to reach people? Well, let me answer this with an illustration of how Jesus wants us to live. It's important to understand that Jesus is inviting us into a chicken pot pie relationship. Naughty TV dinner relationship. I'm talking about food, so I should have everybody's attention now, right? You know, everybody seen TV dinners? Nice thing, stick it, if you're a single guy, you know what a TV dinner is, right? Okay. Um, stick it in the microwave, stick it in the oven, it all comes out, it's in its own little separate compartments, so you can completely devour the steak. And you can completely avoid the cauliflower because cauliflower is of the devil. In the same way, we can easily break our lives into their own distinct compartments. We got one compartment entitled family, another entitled work, another entitled friends, another entitled spiritual beliefs. It's called compartmentalization. I know because I do that to a degree almost all the time. We all have our boxes. We have a spiritual box, we have a family box, we have a work box, we have a school box, we have a one special person in our lives box. And for some, some people are, are really, really good at this. I, I have a tendency to live like this also. And the thing with, when you get really good at that, you will only open one box at a time. So Sunday morning box is right here. The box doesn't touch anything else and you have that box open. Then at about 11.30, 45, if I'm long-winded that day, you get to close that box, put it back up on its shelf, take out recreation box, put it down on the, on the, on the stand here, open it up, and exist in that box now. The problem is, is that Jesus isn't interested in your boxes. Jesus is interested in you. Everything. That means if there's a box over here of stuff that, you know would be embarrassing if we were to open that box and show everybody right now. Jesus wants in, in there too. Jesus wants a part to be in every part of our lives. He doesn't want us to have a TV dinner relationship with him. He wants the chicken pot pie. With chicken pot pie, all the food is mixed in. You can't separate. It's very, very difficult to separate out the cauliflower. Then, so you have to to pick up your cross and eat the cauliflower. You have to sacrifice and eat the cauliflower. Okay. At least I got one amen today. It's all mixed in there. The chicken, the carrots, whatever you're eating, it's all mixed in there. But that's the same that the way it should be with our walk with God. It's all mixed together. He is Lord of everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stuff we'd be embarrassed that anyone else knows about. He wants us to totally eliminate all those compartments and just be one with Him, trusting Him with all of it. Let's look at this principle in God's Word. We're going to be in John chapter 13, and we're going to be starting in verse 1. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. One of the things that I've learned when you read the Gospels is often the most frequent response that people had to what Jesus did and said was utter amazement. Jesus was an expert at doing things that other people never saw coming. you ever have that response to Jesus in your own life? That somehow he blesses you? That somehow he, he forgives you? Somehow he he just knocks your socks off one day and you never saw it coming? Or maybe... It was like that before, maybe several years ago, maybe decades before. But you've been around this Christian thing for a while. And when you're surrounded by the amazing, even the amazing can become commonplace. And maybe that's how the disciples felt after three and a half years of following Jesus. I mean, just imagine this for a moment. Hey, yeah, Jesus just healed another blind guy. Yep. Hey, another paralyzed guy walk. Yeah, that's just normal. Oh, wow, the Holy Spirit just just totally healed that demonic person. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty typical around here. You see, that loss of appreciation for the amazing can deaden the sense of Jesus' mission and work in our lives and how he wants us to work in the lives of others. You see, for many of us, It may be be easy for you to turn this sense of mission on and off, but Jesus, our example, was always on mission. He didn't have an off switch. Or if he did, you ever seen an on switch in a house that nobody wants ever turned off, and they put a piece of tape over it? I don't know if you've ever seen that. I see that once in a while. That's how Jesus was. He had a piece of tape over it, and nobody was going to turn that switch off for him. He knew why he was on mission. And it was stronger than any of the reasons or any of the excuses that he, could have got, that he could have used to get him off track. I mean, Jesus could have had the same excuses that many of us may have come up with not to wash the disciples' feet. After all, he's having a nice meal with his friends. Jesus knew that this would be his last meal with his friends on this side of the cross. Jesus could have said, you know, I'm at a party. Can I not think about serving others for the next couple hours? I mean, I get it if I'm on a missions trip at church, but can't I just enjoy a Friday night with friends? Or maybe Jesus could have looked forward in time and said, you know, these guys, they don't deserve me humbling myself before them. For crying out loud, do you see what a mess these 12 are? And I'm going to do this for them. Maybe he could have looked even a little further in time and said, you know, Peter, I'm going to wash his feet. He's going to deny me in a couple of hours. To my face. And they're all going to run away. They're all going to abandon me. Jesus' servant heart, though, was bigger than whatever that person was deserving that he was thinking about. And he could have, again, looked forward in time and said that there were no immediate results of his actions. After all, he goes and he washes their feet, and then they still spent the rest of the night arguing and trying to position themselves for the maximum reward when Jesus takes control of Israel in their minds. He could have easily said, "'What's the point?' And finally, Jesus knew what was coming. He knew he was going to the cross. He knew he was about to be arrested. He knew he was about to be beaten. He knows he's about to be crucified. We read that in about an hour, he's going to be sweating blood because of the stress in his life. And if there was ever a time For someone to think about what's coming up or or thinking about their own life, this would certainly be the one. But here Jesus is again amazing those close to him. So how does he do it? The answer to that is going to be how we are able to stay passionate about the mission, even when we don't feel like it. Anybody here get stressed out sometimes? Anybody here ever have some serious or legitimate anger toward other people? Anybody have a person that they would consider an enemy, but God may still want you to to reach out to them and be kind to them? How did Jesus do it? This is the key. The foundation of his mission flowed from his identity. Lots of things shape how we see ourselves and how we think of other people. But what if your identity was truly found in God? You see, this was definitely true for Jesus. He knew who he was. He was a son of God and his mission was clear. He knew whose he was. He was the father and therefore what does he have to fear? He knew what he was here for. The time had come. He's preparing to go to the cross to pay for the sin of all humanity. He knew where he was going. He would leave this world and go to the father in heaven. His eyes were looking to the cross, but they were also looking beyond the cross. And he knew where his power came from. Jesus knew that the Father was putting all things under his power. And that he had come from God and now he was about ready to return to God. And you know what the great news is? As followers of Jesus Christ, all of those things are true for you as well. When our identity is wrapped up in God, he is infinitely bigger than all the circumstances that surround us. So Jesus' identity was secure. But that doesn't answer the question of why that led him to wash feet. So let's look at the the why. Continuing in John 13, starting in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. I often wondered, reading the Bible for the first time, about that response from Jesus when I first read that in 1993, because it seemed really harsh and really out of place. I never, I never really understood the why of why Jesus seemed to say what he used to say because he seemed just kind of mean sometimes. And this is a crazy response when you think about it. If I don't do this, you have no part with me. I'd be like, wait a minute, I just followed you for three years, gave up a successful business, and now just because of this, you're gonna throw me out? What I found though, is that Jesus was describing a principle of how our relationship to him was supposed to look like. And it goes like this. We pour out, pour in, and then pour back out. We begin by pouring ourselves out to God. We share with him the good, the bad, the ugly, the so-called secret stuff, but there are no secrets before God. We share it, everything with him. You see, like a good parent, Jesus wants us to talk to Him about our fears, about the things that, that stress us out, about our passions, about our dreams. And then after we pour everything out to God, then He can pour into us. This most often happens through the Holy Spirit when we take in the Word of God, when we do our Bible reading and our prayer. It also happens Um, through the fellowship that we have here with one another as we meet in the church and with each other throughout the week. God fills us up with encouragement, fills us up with conviction, fills us up with, with guidance and wisdom. And then from his overflow, we pour out ourselves to others. You see, right after this scene, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he pours his heart out to God. Didn't Jesus, Jesus Christ, the ruler of the world, the co-creator, said that I am terrified? I am so scared that I'm trembling. I am sweating blood because I'm so frightened. He wasn't afraid to pour that out before his father. He poured out his heart to God. The passage says that God sent an angel to strengthen him to pour back in to him and remind him of his mission. And finally, Jesus goes from there to give his life on the cross to forgive the sins of all mankind. And isn't that the ultimate pour out? What this shows us is that the depth that I pour out to God is the depth that God pours into me. And to the death that God pours into me is the death, the depth that I am able to pour out to others. That's why we should follow Jesus's example of pouring ourselves out to God, so He can pour Himself into us. And that's a big idea for us to follow. Your friends your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, whoever else God puts into your path does not need you. They need Jesus. And what Jesus was trying to explain and teach to Peter is the same for anyone who calls Jesus Lord. And Jesus' primary call on Peter's life and his primary call on your life and my life has always been intimacy. It's always started with relationship. Jesus told Peter on day one, follow me. He didn't say, I am calling you into the ministry. I'm going to make you the rock of my church. I'm going to do all these things in your life. He just simply said, follow me. You know, we can get so wound up. Wondering what God wants to do in our lives or who he wants us to be. I would just tell you this morning, stop that. He wants to be your God. It's it's that simple. And if Jesus is your God, everything else can flow from that. See, otherwise we get all this stuff in our lives, all all these passions, all these things that we think that God wants us to do. But we forget who we're doing it for. And that's how ministries, that's how people, that's how, how just even denominations and different groups get so far off the rails because they forget that Jesus' first command to us was follow me. The exciting thing is that our identity of being cleansed by God and being refilled by His Spirit, with all of that, He still calls us to join Him. Listen to the last thing He tells Peter and the other disciples to do. John 13, starting in verse 13. When He had finished washing their feet, He put on His clothes and returned to His place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He tells them to simply to go out and do the same for others. As I've poured into you, now you pour in to others. And this story, it has multiple layers. It can be taught and looked at from a a number of different ways. But we see not only, or not only do we see where Jesus puts his foundation so that he's able to stay on mission, even when everyone else would give up and walk away, we also find as God pours more of himself into us, he will lead us to a greater level of service and sacrifice for him. You see everything in our world talks about upward mobility. The American dream, get a bigger house, get a better car, get a you know more toys. You know the, the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. I say he who dies with the most toys still dies. You don't see a, you don't see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? God actually leads us to downward mobility. And that idea of downward mobility is is the exact opposite of our culture. But it's his way. That's why Jesus said, the, the greatest among you must be the one who is least. And Jesus led that. He showed us that. After all, he exchanged a throne in heaven for a cross on earth. Jesus told, uh, tells us in John 13:16, he said, Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Notice he doesn't say, serve and sacrifice so, for others that God will give you sp- some spiritual brownie points. Although that, that will happen, our rewards will be based off how faithfully we served him here on earth. Instead, Jesus says, you will be blessed if you do it. Meaning that when you serve others for the sake of the kingdom of God, you're the fortunate one. You're the one that's going to be blessed. And I think anyone here who has served Christ for any length of time will be able to testify to that. It is not a burden, it is a joy to serve the Lord. And there's two main reasons that he says here that you will be blessed. The more you serve and sacrifice out of that overflowing cup, the more you're like Christ. And the more you serve and sacrifice, the more you are with Christ. The deeper you go down there, the more you get immersed in his love, his character, his his just overwhelming holiness of, of thought and mind and action. It's only there It's only there as we dive deep into the richness of God that we truly learn that Jesus is enough. If you have him, you have everything you need. So that's the challenge for us today. The challenge is pour out all your stuff. Pour it out to Jesus and allow him to pour back into you. And some of you might think, well, it's too late for that. I've already lived most of my life. And if that's you, I would say this to you. Don't give up on a God who will never give up on you. It is not too late for you. There hasn't been too many days in the past. God can take that and redeem it and bring you into a destiny that you can't even imagine. And you might have that whispering in your ear right now from the enemy saying you can't do it. Don't stretch yourself. You'll fall. You've messed up way too much. And I need to tell you right now, the Holy Spirit would say, shut up, devil. Because God is saying, I still believe in you. And I'm not done with you yet. The best is yet to come. There's a promise in the word of God. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 that says, No eye has seen what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And I would tell you this morning, you have no idea what is behind the curtain of complete surrender to God. But I can tell you, you can trust Him. You can trust His word, and you can trust His plan for your life. So get back up. Give Him one more day. Let God be strong in your weakness. The omnipotent Creator has got you. And you are not alone. One final thought, and we'll be done this morning, I promise. For all you who think that God can't use you because you've messed up too much in life, you have, you have an excuse, you have a, a failure that you don't think that God can get past, I want to encourage you in this. There's an entire gospel that is essentially Peter's memoirs. It's called the Gospel of Mark. John Mark was was one of Peter's closest friends, and Peter mentored John Mark back in the early church. So the Gospel of Mark is really the Gospel of Peter because he got all of his information from Peter. And you know what's cool about that? Mark wasn't written until about 64 A.D., 30 years after the events it records. And what we see 30 years later is that Peter's identity in Christ is so sure that he makes sure John Mark includes all of his mistakes. Can you just picture Peter? He goes, oh, oh yeah, that's when I really messed up and I cut that dude's ear off. Or that's when I fell asleep when Jesus really needed me. And that's, oh yeah, yeah, make sure you get it in there. That's when I denied Jesus to his face. Or that's when I I took my eyes off Jesus and I started sinking. You see, Peter had learned that God can work even through our weaknesses. He can work even through our mistakes and even our sin. Because God sent Jesus into the world. He showed us He wants it all. What would happen if we trusted God in everything? Who knows? If we could be transparent even in our worst moments, God may use it to help others when they feel like they are failing. The foundation of Peter's mission flowed from his identity in Christ, and the same must be true for us as well. That's the only way we can make an impact on this community, this county, or this world. Let's all stand. Father God, many of us grew up in a church where you were supposed to put on the smiley face on Sunday morning and not let anybody know the, the struggles you had during the week. I know we, we went to a church like that. But that's not what the church is supposed to be. We're not a mausoleum for those who, who claim to be perfect. We are a hospital for the sick. So I'd ask, Father, that you give everyone here the faith and the assurance that you have got them. You already know their failures. You already know their weaknesses. You already know their sins. Help them to be open and transparent about that before you. Help them to embrace Your grace. And let that transform their thinking and how they live their lives on this earth, how they live their lives before others, and how they can be used for this incredible mission of telling people about the awesome and amazing grace of God. Father, I just bless your people now. I ask, Father, that You just continue to mold them and shape them into vessels that can be used of you. That you continue to cleanse them and and keep them from repeating the same mistakes. That you change their hearts and their minds to reflect the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. And that you use them to reap a harvest. Because as I look out the windows of this church, the fields are white. White. And people desperately need to hear about a God who loves them. Father God, I just bless your people now. In Jesus' name, amen.